in a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. Hello there and welcome to the Video Nasties podcast. My name's Christopher Brown. Today I want to talk to you about um, The Burning. See, when we talk about films that were launch pads for bigger things that got wrapped up in the Video Nasty scare, The Evil Dead is the one that always springs to mind, setting off, obviously, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. But it's probably, in fact, The Burning which launched more careers and set off a ripple effect which became the cinematic powerhouse of Miramax, which gave the world Clerks, Pulp Fiction and Sin City, to name a few. For The Burning was the film that helped launch the Weinsteins. This summer, if you're planning to go camping, don't. If you're looking forward to midnight swims, don't. Listen, you're going back to the campsite. Get some matches. Build us a hot fire. And if you're thinking about being with someone where no one can see you, don't. Because this summer, a legend of terror isn't just a campfire story anymore. They say he smashed his way through the bunk room door, just a mass of flames. I cried out, I will return, I will have my revenge. He lives on whatever he can catch. Right now, he's out there, watching, waiting. Who's there? What happened one summer five years ago is about to happen again, and again, and again. The Burning. So The Burning is a 1981 American-Canadian slasher directed by Tony Milam with music by Rick Wakeman. And it tells the story of a cruel alcoholic caretaker who lives at a summer camp who's nicknamed Cropsy and based on the urban legend of Cropsy who falls victim to a prank that went out of control which leaves him horribly burnt and disfigured. Following his release from the hospital, he returns to his old stomping ground and begins a murder spree. Um, he butchers uh, a load of counsellors with a gigantic pair of gardening shears when they go on an all-night sleepover in the forest. Come on, we're not... Hey, you guys, look over there! What? what? It's one of our canoes! It, it is, it's ours! No, it isn't. It is too gotta be! Yeah, who else would be stupid enough to Let's move it? Let's go! Let's go! Come on, 
The film was one of the first from Miramax Films, which Harvey Weinstein produced, and Bob Weinstein was a co-writer. Jason Alexander, Fisher Stevens, and Holly Hunter all made their motion picture debuts in the film. Uh, it was uh, released by Filmways, and that's an MGM. Released almost a year to the day after similar summer camp slasher Friday the 13th, and boasting the FX work of... Um, Tom Savini. Uh, the burning would become a springboard. What well, it started off with uh, Tony Milam, who's a documentary filmmaker who had made two music features, White Rock and Genesis, that were screened as a double bill. These attracted the attention of rock promoter Harvey Weinstein, who'd been working under the banner Harvey and Corky in Buffalo, New York, who bought the films and distributed them theatrically as Sensasia. He wanted to make the, mo- the move to motion pictures, though, with his brother Bob, so he produced Milam about the possibility of developing a low-budget film. The brothers needed to finance the $1.5 million needed to create the movie, as well as, as, well as hiring a cast and crew that it could rely on. Uh, Jack Shoulder was picked as the editor, who had recut many films for fellow independent company New Line, such as The Street Fighter with Sonny Sheba, and his own uh, film, Alone in the Dark. The film's controversy almost entirely comes, though, from the special effects, uh, the work of Tom Savini. Savini turned down Friday the 13th Part 2 to work on this. And uh, like a lot of his films, he does kind of pop up, although, you know, you know in some of the effects work. Um, the shot of Cropsey's legs kicking wildly the fire was Savini. And he, he also... Um, it's him that swings the actor kills crops in the film's conclusion. Um, the Savini apparently was not particularly happy with the cropsy burn makeup, as he said he only had three days to work on it, which is why it looks like a um, like he's melted rather than burnt. That's not uncommon for Savini to say that kind of stuff, though. He frequently. Um, says he wasn't happy with this effect and that effect and you know as, as, as he's improved over the years I think he does kind of 
refer back to some of his work and says, oh, well, I wasn't very happy with that. But, you know, I think it's a striking, uh, a striking visage anyway. And, uh, you know, it's, it's suitably ugly. And, uh, you know, although he does look melted rather than burnt, I think it's a good effort. Um, there's another cameo as well from the, actually director Tony Milam is in it. Um, he's in a lot of scenes in which Cropsy kills, uh, particularly the, that Raff scene. Um, he plays the killer mainly because he hold the, he, the Cropsy holds the garden shears in a very distinctive manner and that he wanted that to be the case. And the actor who playing him was struggling to do that. And, um, the reason why he, Hosted that and, and, and did that was, um, you know, he, he held the, 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 the shears to kind of show how it was and filmed himself that way. And, um, it works because, I mean, obviously, you know, that scene of Cropsy kind of looming up with the shears in his hands is obviously, you know, on the majority of the posters now. Camp not far from here, just across the lake. It was called Camp Blackfoot. No one goes there anymore. Everything burnt down. There's nothing left except the ruins. Now this camp had a caretaker, a really evil bastard. And his name was Cropsy. Everyone hated Cropsy. For a start, he was a drunk. Two bottles of whiskey a day, no problem. Like, most of the time, he's somewhere out in space. But if he caught you, look out. Cropsy could strip the paint off the walls just by breathing on them. <laughs> now, this Cropsy was a sadist. I mean, he got real pleasure out of hurting people, scaring them. And he had these garden shears, you know? The kind with long, thin blades. And he carried them all the time, wherever he went. And he had this kind of demonic way of looking at you. One time, this Cropsy really went after this kid from Brooklyn. Followed him around night and day. He made this kid's life living hell. But this time he chose the wrong guy. Because the kid and some of his buddies had planned a little prank that would scare the living shit out of Cropsy. Only problem was, the gag went wrong. The next thing anyone knows, Cropsy's trapped alive and burning in his bunk. They try to get him out, but the fire's so fierce they can't reach him. All they can do is stand outside and listen to him cry out in agony. They say he smashed his way through the bunk room door, just a mass of flames. And as he screamed out, burned alive, he cried out, I will return! I will have my revenge! They never found his body. He survived. He lives on whatever he can catch. Eats them raw, alive, no longer human. Right now, he's out there, watching, waiting. Don't look, he'll see you. Don't move.
the um, the title, like Cropsy for this bad guy, is um, based on uh, an old urban legend that used to bang around, uh, particularly not um, New York. Um, you know, the kind of thing that was told around campfires. Basically, Cropsy was a title for a, a, a you know a, psycho- a psychopathic, violent criminal. You know, it's used really to frighten kids. You know. Um, a, a boogeyman kind of figure, you know, a, a, a New York urban legend. Um, if you're interested in that that kind of stuff, there's there is a documentary about well, first of all about the legend of Cropsy, but also about a um, a convicted child killer from Staten Island. Um, Cropsy, the documentary is on Netflix at the moment. If you're interested, and um, it is, um, yeah. It, it basically goes a bit into the, um, the, 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 the idea of the old, um, the, the story. Basically, you know, the Cropsy urban legend, which, which could be segued into a myriad of different ways. You know, but basically, involves around a man killing kids because he doesn't like them, in a in variety of violent ways. You know, and that contains summer camp stuff, as it does with the burning, but also just you know, a, a, a monster under the bed, as it were. And then goes into talk about Andre Rand, who is a uh, a child killer, um, and um, Rand, uh, you know, it goes into his story and uh, the kind of man he was. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, he's a child, he's a convicted child killer, so you know he's not not a nice guy. Um, so it it, it it gives you an an, an idea behind some of the urban myths behind it, but really it focuses on the, you know the true crime elements. But um, it is still a, a, a fantastic film and well worth a watch. As with a lot of these uh, early eighties slashes, the cast is made up of young and inexperienced actors. Now, obviously, that's for money reasons more than anything, and they need you know obviously playing people in a summer camp, so they need to be young. Um, and you know you also get to swear the unions as well. Uh, Brian Matthews, uh, who is in, kind of in one of the leads as Todd, who uh, was a later regular in Days of Our Lives. Um, Brian pa- uh, Backer, who played the Alfred character, who, who spies on the uh, on the girls, and, and you know is, is one of the, the you know the, the victim to be saved, as it were, at the end. He'd appear in Fast Times at Richmond High, Police Academy Four. Uh, Jason Alexander, who. Uh, Obviously, as a, from Seinfeld, and um, short circuits Fisher Stevens, who would portray uh, the um, now really not looking particularly great um, character of Benjamin in uh, who's the Asian, and uh, that's 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 black makeup. There's no way around. That's black enough, which is uh, always a surprise when you look back. And Holly Hunter, as well, has this really small role in the film. Um, is one of the uh, the people you know, one of the um, campers who don't go on the trip. So it was filmed in upstate uh, New York around Buffalo, which obviously where the Weinstein's were based at this time, and uh, North Tanawanda, and uh, the climax we shot in Model City, New York. According to the director Malam, the reason the film's finale didn't take place in a cave as originally supposed to was due to the fact that the cave was going was uh, full of bats 
uh, and Savini says that another cave that scouted for film collapsed just after being surveyed, which would have been fun, wouldn't it? Um, so the films were shot in a climax of uh, uh, the ruins of an abandoned copper mine. And he said that there's so much dust in, in the mine, though, that he was coughing it up for weeks afterwards. Um, the soundtrack is very noticeable. Uh, Malim approached uh, Rick Wakeman, who uh, obviously was a uh, you know, keyboardist for the prog rock group Yes. Um, he collaborated with him on White Rock, and he asked him to compose the music. Uh, Wakeman, obviously a classically trained musician, was able to produce um, a soundtrack that really does set the film apart. Um, and uh, you know it, it is it is really great, and you know, I think might be it's, it's ready for a release. itself I think works better than most slasher movies and I think the main reason for that is that even when you you know the kills aren't happening and there are plenty of kills in it but in the time in between you care about the characters it's an it's an entertainingly written script and um, you know the, the 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 kids act like kids they're dickheads but you know they're dickheads in a way that it works better for them and um you know, I mean the the characters are the funny and, and, and they interact well. And that helps the, the film really, really skip along. Um you know, I think a lot of problem, you know it, it, that is the difference between uh, the good slashes and the ones that are pretty boring, I think it's fair to say and uh, and, you know, there, there are some dull slashes on the Video Nasties list, but I mean, for me personally, this this really stands out as what being one of the better films on here, and indeed probably one of the best, you know, one of the better slashes up there with Halloween and uh, Friday, um, Friday the Thirteenth. In truth, the first one. Um, I think the interesting thing about the the, the as the slashes and, and that kind of thing as well with this is obviously Savini went to 
uh, to do this rather than part two of Friday the 13th and uh, it's, I think that's really noticeable with, with Friday the 13th that it just isn't as violent and as, as, as well put together it just doesn't pay off as well as the first film does or, or, or other films later on um, the film suffered terribly through censorship not just in the UK which we'll get on to but also in the US embarrassed by uh, basically Friday the 13th going through uncut the MPAA became extremely strict about censoring slashes and ordered drastic cuts to the movie to get its R rating. So films like the notorious scene where uh, the lad's fingers get chopped off, gone, uh, at this stage. Um, the film was passed X uh, after 10 seconds of BBF cuts for a cinema release in 81. Fawn EMI initially released the video uncut though um, and realising their mistake and being dragged into the nasties for all they tried to replace rental videos with the BBFC cut version but most shops unsurprisingly stuck to the uncut version which probably would sell better and um, it was that uncut version that was um, listed as a nasty in October 83 and remains on the list throughout the scare becoming one of the collectible DPP 39 um, which is kind of understandable as well isn't it really I think the problem with the phony and my thing was that it was um it was it was considered you know a lot of the time in the scare in the video nasty scare the um the distributors like go video were seen as small outfits you know not particularly um big and um you know like garage industry stuff really but obviously phony and i were a big company and uh, it was that was used as a stick to beat them with and 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 was another contributory factor to the idea that um that they needed um with the you know the the video recordings act of 1984 was needed and the main reason for that was simply because you know these are just cowboys you know that we can stamp out you know major companies to get a, a release in these films as well and i think it was to um fornier my's horror when the, uh, the, the 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 finger started pointing their way hence the reason for the recall of the film Anyway, it was really re-released by the B with, B with 90 seconds of BBFC cuts in '92 by Fawn EMI, and then the cuts were waived for the 2002 Vipco R2 DVD, um, which is a crap release. It's pan and scan. It's not nice at all. Um, it's been released again in 2008 by Black Horse, and there is now released. Shout Factory um, All Region Blu-ray, um, which is available from the US Amazon. Which, if you're gonna get it, that's certainly the one I would get. It's a very good release indeed. So we've got a fantastic soundtrack, some great kills, and also the, the launch bed for uh, Miramax Films, which uh, you know, uh, and then obviously the Weinstein Company afterwards. So uh, makers of many. Oscar-winning films in the end, but it's nice that uh, for me personally that the start of all that and you know the thing that led to the English Patient in effect and various other movies um, harks back to these kind of dirty grindhouse days. I mean, the thing about the burning is it's probably more exploitative than most films that are slashes, and um, there is some really like 
OTT nudity, and obviously the gore effects are fantastic. So um, yeah, it's a it's it's a great addition, um, and you know definitely worth a watch. Just had a little bit of feedback um, from Rob Wilson. Um, the burning is a much better than average slasher. It's two things going for it: Tom Savini with fun kills and likable characters. Uh, a slasher with some likable characters too rare. I never understood why in so many movies the victims are jerks or as interesting as bowling pins waiting to get knocked down. The Munio starts to lose some steeds towards the end. Lots of running for a horribly burned guy. Thanks, Chris. Rob. I that's I absolutely agree. It does kinda it has it has to have some kind of climactic finale, but um our um our our cropsy, as it were, is not a man who is a man who pops up quite a lot at him. Is able to kind of uh, yeah he's a awful um, he's able to shift some ground let's put it that way he jumps between different areas very quickly and uh, yeah he's a lot faster than the teenagers let's put it that way which is you know a, a a common trope I think it's fair to say had some feedback via Twitter as well um, do call uh, Willie Bob and uh, he says. Um, well, his, his feedback initially was from a while ago. Um, it, he says it's the, the burning uh, is the first mo- horror movie I watched, and I have good memories of it scaring me. Um, I was introduced to the burning by a friend at ten or eleven years old. This ends up me having nightmares for weeks, but I've grown to love it. Um, which is, you know, I mean, that, that, I love that kind of stuff. That it's like, you know, you find it and it's. Uh, it's it's the one that that shocks you the most. Anyway, Willie Bob is on Twitter at at Perry five nine five. That's P E R R Y five nine five digits. Um, the Burning is a fantastic film and well worth um a watch if you want to see it. If you haven't seen it. Um, and uh, you know the the quality of the the, the copy now is, is fantastic. Considering how you know how it is really a, a grimy little exploitation film in truth. Well, this is home, honey. If you're coming in, why don't you come on in? I mean, ain't no use standing out there. Are you coming up? Because I'm going in. Like the low-key lighting, huh? That's all right with me. Aren't you gonna take off your hat? Of course, you wanna keep your hat on. Keep your hat on. I mean, I got guys who wanna do it wearing all sorts. Of course, you're the one that's paying. Well, do me a favor, will you, honey? Let's move it, huh? I mean, I gotta earn a living. Oh, my God. 
please go. I please go. No, no, get away, get away from me, please. So, if you want to get in touch with me, please do. You can do it as Willie Bob did. It's at orange underscore monkey on Twitter. Or you can do it like Rob did on our website at videonastiespodcast.com. Or you can email me at videonastiespodcast at gmail.com. All feedback is very well received. And it's great to hear your stories about the video nasties and, and the films that uh, have shaped you. Uh, next week, we have got... Um, John Saxton uh, being amazing because uh, anything John Saxton is amazing it's uh, Cannibal Apocalypse uh, which doesn't feel that many it's more of an it's not a cannibal movie it's an action film really so um, there's some great stuff coming up though um, in the next few weeks so so I'm really looking forward to again to talk to you about that stuff as well so until then take care and I will speak to you soon goodbye <laughs> seen a video nasty i wouldn't i have far too much how, how can you judge on a video nasty? oh you've seen one i actually don't need to see visually what i know is in that film Why don't you come on in? I mean, I know you're standing out there.